Dotnet Rocks episode 867 with guest Morton Runga. Recorded live Friday, March 28th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com and by Franklin's.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com and by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're here for the next hour or so. What's up, buddy? Um, just probably, you know, I have another wave of allergies again. It must be springtime, so I'm a little hopped up on antihistamines, but you know, there are worse things. I could be sneezing all the time. I'm very grateful it hit 50 degrees Fahrenheit today. Ah, uh, that's nice. Yeah. And, and, uh, long after, long before this show is actually published, I'm actually coming to you in, a, in another day or two. That's so. right. So you'll have carpenter ants crawling all over you while you're sleeping in the guest room. Ah, it's nice. <laughs> Spring is here. Spring is here. Welcome to the carpenter ants. All right. Better know a framework. Hit me. What do you got? Well, this one was sent in by Thomas Betts. Who's ah, a, hey, Thomas. Yeah, he's a huge fan of the show, going back to the early days of .NET Rocks. So back on show 855, which was Jeff Fritz talking about one ASP.NET, Jeff mentioned he loves using TypeScript because it takes care of compiling and minifying his JavaScript. Right. So he didn't have to think about how to set up his bundles. And um, so this thing about setting up bundles, he's talking about system.web.optimization. This is a namespace that was added in ASP.NET MVC 4.5. Here's the MSDN subscription. A system.web.optimization namespace includes classes that support content delivery networks and the process of optimizing JavaScript and cascading stylesheet files in a website to reduce file size and improve page performance. The classes in this namespace enable developers to carry out bundling and minification tasks to optimize their JavaScript and CSS files. There's also a tutorial on bundling and minification, which is available at tinyurl.com slash MVC bundles. And uh, it walks you through the benefits of building and minifying, uh, as well as the code that you need. Basically, you have a bundle collection that you typically register on application start, assuming your whole site needs the same JavaScript and CSS files. Then you add a new script bundle, give it a virtual path, and include all the JavaScript files for that bundle. The same technique is used for creating a style bundle for all your CSS files. And these are smart paths, which handle a version keyword and a asterisk wildcard. So when you pull down the latest jQuery update, you won't have to go in and manually edit all the references. So if you want uh, to reference a content delivery network, um, it's just an optional parameter when you create the script bundle. And it can automatically fail back to your local files if the CDN request fails. So not only are you sending fewer bytes over the wire, you're also less likely to run into the limit on the number of simultaneous connections allowed by a browser, which is typically six. In the example in the tutorial, they reduced the number of file requests from 34 down to just nine and cut the load time by more than a third. So if you're using JavaScript files that are already minified, there won't be much reduction in the bytes transmitted, but the main gain is getting rid of all those extra calls to the server. 
You know, once upon a time, you had to buy a very expensive appliance that I sold to do all of that. That's right. It sounds very much like Strange Loop. But it's exactly software. what we, it is just, you know, one of the challenges at Strange Loop was we solved these problems a number of years ago and came up with automated ways to, to deal with them. But now it's, you know, here it is free with a great tutorial, you know, reducing round trips and, and consolidating files down just gets easier and easier. It's, uh, you know, I'm not sad that strange loop is sold and it's somebody else's problem now. Mm, yeah, right. So uh, lastly, if you're not yet on MVC 4.5, you can still use it since it's available as a NuGet package, microsoft.aspnet.web.optimization. Know and, it, learn and, it, love it. And there's also the, the, the whole script manager, especially as of 4.0 and 4.5, he's gotten really smart about minification, yeah. automating browser caching. Like they just, they've gotten really smart about doing what used to be quite tricky stuff. It's very cool. It's good, good, good. Well, thanks to Thomas Betts, and uh, we're going to send him a hoodie or something. Absolutely. He's, uh, he deserves it. That was great. Richard, who's talking to us? You know, it's funny that you, you pulled that topic, we ended up tying this into strange loop because the comment i've got this is actually off of show 851 which is the one we talked uh with thomas uh, petrisek about uh f sharp mm -hmm. uh but the comment really didn't have a lot to do with the show per se uh this is from peter uh Soldus, and uh he says hi carl and richard i've been a long time since 2007 net rocks listener albeit a quiet one so far uh, i've been surprised by the change of career interest for richard but the change is good, and DevOps is a great and challenging area. Whether easier or more difficult than scaling, I do not know, but I think understanding threads is easier than humans and certainly has better tooling support, which is true. And, you know, the uh, uh, bringing DevOps to the Microsoft world is going to be very interesting, but it's and it's orthogonal to scaling. If you want to scale, you pretty much have to build a DevOps-oriented team. Right. Uh, but he continues. Breaking down communication barriers across silos is an evergreen and important task and has been an ongoing one in software development for a while from testers and developers with continuous integration and developer automated testing through uh, an analyst developers with BDD and it arrives at DevOps today, which absolutely, we're just chaining these things together tighter and tighter. Unfortunately, DBAs were skipped by the NoSQL movement. So is that the next one or will it be marketer developers or executive developers? I don't think DBAs have been skipped. Uh, although, honestly, I don't know if I was still a DBA today, I would call myself a D DBA. Maybe Lord of Data. Because Lord Datafy. Yeah, because <laughs> everything's still data. How it's stored isn't even the important part. You know, you still, NoSQL still involves somebody needing to know something about the data. And then when you start thinking on the context of what analytics looks like today with big data right. and the like, the, the the Lord of Data is never going away. Whether or not they call him a DBA is just a totally separate thing. Uh, let, let me finish this, uh, and we'll we'll dig into the DevOps things uh, a little bit further. Uh, one remaining silo within DevOps, though, is silos across platforms. While there are exceptions to it, Windows-based tools and people are rather underrepresented at the conferences and various podcasts, like the DevOps Cafe and Ship Show. And these are podcast specifically about DevOps that I have listened to. Having worked on different platforms and languages only has expanded my horizons. Importing ideas from one another has often saved time. There's no reason that shouldn't be true for DevOps, both for tooling and culture-related discussions, and thus I would love it if you bring one or more shows around to that. Tool comparisons for the same purpose on various platforms, being DevOps in a mixed server environment, or simply sharing war stories. That's a good Thanks idea. Thanks for shows and keep them coming. Good idea. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a good reason why most 
communication today about DevOps doesn't mention Microsoft technology. This is really a movement that came out of this open source community and the tooling has been built that way and not particularly Microsoft focused, but Microsoft seems to have gotten the bug and there's a few other companies starting to build some tools around that. We're seeing more and more of it. It's one of the reasons that I'm dived in head first to it because right. I think it, it needs to be put, uh, put together and it's going to make everybody better. Yeah. On the road trip, you were talking about Microsoft SCOM. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, operations manager. Yeah, and on the developer side, the tools from Preemptive. Right. And well, we just did that show with uh, the guys from Columbia where they talked right. about the advantages of instrumentation and getting better feedback from there and they were using the Preemptive tools as well. So, it is an interesting, you know, a lot of these different pieces have existed for a while, but mm -hmm. trying to consolidate them and get into much more of the the process and practice of iterating quickly and tying the teams together more effectively that's it turns out it's not the tools the tools are sort of the last piece of this it's the people in the process that matter yep uh so peter thanks so much for your comment and yes i'm it's fun to be looking at new things again and uh, exploring different ideas even with the podcast as well as all the other things that are going on i'll uh, fire a .NET rocks mug out to you as soon as i get your mailing address and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via our mobile apps on iPhone, Android, and WinPhone. Yeah. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises, a great group of guys building awesome mobile apps, and they're looking for work. So go to diatomenterprises.com, tell them .NET Rocks sent you. That's right. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online with hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, releasing 12 to 15 new courses every month and offering a free 10-day trial for 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything, everything Microsoft, including lots of courses on software practices and planning. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you uh, Morton Runga. Morton has been a programmer since 1988 and a meta-programmer since 1990 and has worked for small startups to larger organizations such as Visma or Microsoft. In T4, Morton found his calling and is constantly trying to spread the word to family, friends, colleagues, and strangers who just said hello. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Morton. Hi there. Thank you. Yeah, I like your sense of humor. I think you're well, one of us. You can stay. <laughs> okay, thank, thank you very much. Watch out for that guy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very nice being here. Thank you all. Metaprogramming, you you caught the bug. You found your calling in metaprogramming. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess I always kind of, yeah, I've been metaprogramming, like uh, when I started in the with Atari and Amiga. Yeah. And uh well, in those days, it was we did it to reduce redundancy in the code, um, because we had to unroll all the loops and st instead of you know, um, instead of just typing the same code o over and over again, mm -hmm. we unroll the loops. But you can actually do that. Uh, I found uh, very effectively uh, in C Sharp and Visual Studio as well, mm -hmm. and we have a lot of cases with redundancy which can be nicely handled by metaprogramming. So metaprogramming simply code that writes code. Code yes, that helps to write code. Yes, that's true. And, uh, and you, you want to avoid uh, the maintenance cost of maintaining redundant code. So an example of redundant code, for instance, that is not easy to... I mean, in many cases, you can reduce redundant code by just writing a for loop 
instead of repeating a line 30 times, you sure. write a for, for loop that repeats it 30 times. Yeah. But for instance, we have exception classes if you take it in .NET. Because .NET lacks constructor forwarding, you, you have to type you know, quite much for each exception clause. Construct, if, constructor forwarding? Yeah. Let's define that. that. Okay, constructive forwarding is a it's a feature in, in new C++, but that basically means that when you inherit a class in C sharp, you don't inherit the the, um, the constructors. You have to repeat them. Uh -huh. So, if you want to have the empty constructor, you get that right. But if you want to have constructor taking a string argument, you have to write it. And if you want to have a constructor taking exception the inner exception class, you have to write it. And so on, and so on. And then mm -hmm. in, if you want to implement the serializable interface, well, it, you get end up with like 50 lines of code for each ex exception clause. And that's when, for even even if they're supported in the base class, or is that uh, on top of the base class? It's on top of the base class. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if you want to have a certain... And, and you want to have a kind of certain kind of pattern uh, to exception clauses, because what, pe what you end up doing is you, you start cheating, but then you don't have the same constructors or the same behaviors. Mm. So... And that's, there is no really good way inside the C-sharp program language to get around this redundancy. So this is one of the cases where a meta program in two, like T4, can help. Because what you really want to say with the exception clause is a new name, like my exception clause, inherits this exception clause. That's the only interesting information uh, in an exception, exception clause. Everything else is redundant. Right. True. So when you say metaprogramming, you're not just talking about code generation, which is what I think of when I think of T4. But these are just all sorts of tools that can just help you not repeat yourself. So you're, you're yeah. essentially uh, tools and techniques to support the dry principle. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've used, uh, for metaprogramming tools, I used, uh, you know, assembly language and the preprocessor in C++. And partial templates in C++, which is very technical and it mm. doesn't really matter for this discussion. And, um, and also, you know, the system link expression namespace inside C Sharp that allows a kind of meta programming. Mm. And system uh, reflection emit, I don't have the exact in there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dapper uses that to generate classes during runtime. But all of these I found, were, which happened during runtime, generates something which is terrible to debug mm. because you get if you mess up you get a runtime error saying something like invalid IL code detected in unknown module in unknown function yeah great <laughs> thanks I mean yeah that's horrible good to luck debug. yeah good luck and you, you you have to step into the assembly code basically to understand it mm. so what I like about T4 which I'm you know bothering people about a lot is the fact that it it's super easy to debug because what you it generates the code so you can still debug the c-sharp code like you would normally debug your own code it's nothing magic but mm -hmm. you avoid uh, having to type the code over and over again you avoid the cost of redundancy and you you're left with real code not you know something that you can debug yes. and step through yeah exactly right and and also simpler code because sometimes i've been writing a well, advanced c-sharp code with reflection and you know what, and people, you know, they haven't write the code or myself coming back six months later struggles to understand it. Sure. With a, with a T4 tool, you can generate so simple code because uh, you write this advanced code to avoid redundancy. But when you are kind of cheating and using T4, 
you can just generate simple code. And the simple code is redundant, but just that's lot, not a problem. Just lots of it. Yeah, but you don't maintain that, so it's not yeah. a problem. Right. Yeah, the, so that's the, really the principle that I've always taught my students was I wouldn't use a code generator unless I understood the code that it generated. Yeah, I you guess know? so. And I, maybe that comes just from not entirely trusting code generators and wizards and things. But, yep. uh, you know, because we've all been burned by, you know, press these buttons and then a miracle happens. Yes. And then, oh, well, you know, the miracle's not working. What's, wor and, what's wrong? Well, who, who knows, right? There's and that's why, I don't, that's why I don't call T4 a code generation tool. Yeah. Because a code generation tool, you're left to the developer who wrote the code. And you're just hoping that the code it generates works. But with T4, you're actually programming the generator. So you're still in charge. You're just, just, just not the slave or whatever is what you can say. Oh, well, you're still in charge of your code and you're in charge how it generates. So I think that's a crucial difference between a code generation tool, which we have all used and dot, didn't really like, and T4, which is a meta programming tool. So with T4, you actually write uh, code that has, you know, um, I, I can't remember all the terminology, but essentially placeholders in it. And then it gets run through the, the generator and the placeholders get yeah. replaced with either little lines of code or functions or whatever. So you're I, actually developing your own templates. Is that right? Yeah. And I, us I usually call T4 uh, like PHP or ASP for code. Yeah. <laughs> because that's basically what it is. And uh, you, you write the ASP program, basically, but instead of generating HTML, you generate C-sharp. Right. It's very similar. So, um, yeah. And it's also very simple. But I found it really saved my you know, butt a lot of times. And um, I've just been so much more productive. And that's really why I've been bothering people about it for a long time. So when you say saved your butt, it's more about it made you move faster? So you've yeah, got but stuff also done on higher, time. High, higher quality, and I can hit deadlines, which, you know, I might not be able to be hit. Uh, you know, I use it for generating SQL at work these days. Right. Hmm. And last week, I generated 30,000 lines of SQL. Wow. That would I don't be know if that's good, Morton. So when you say that, generated SQL, did you break down things that you do in SQL uh, store procedures uh, inside of a store procedure into little digestible things and then use some i mean how did, exactly did you do that i'm wondering what that temp those templates look like well uh, those are uh, we have a we at work where i work these days um we we use a kind of uh, uh we synchronize data between databases and we use but the, we cannot use uh, transaction ship uh, um what's it called log shipping we cannot use that because mm -hmm. the the data schema is slightly different and um so what I've written is a, is a template that analyzes the database schema on both sides and generates a change tracking uh, uh, store procedure that uses change tracking to sync certain uh, tables and also transform the schema uh, or the data to, between the schemas. And if you have written a change tracking sync in SQL, you notice you have to write the same thing over and over again and you get angry from writing uh, the same redundant code. Hence, T4 can really, you know, save time, save quality, and also save my mind from yeah. going insane. So, <laughs> right. And it also, you know, uh, I hit deadlines there, uh, which I think 
normally before would have taken like two weeks to do, or at least one week of intense uh, and boring code to write, with like 30 minutes. That's, But that's just one example. That's a massive change. That's a massive change. And it's also, I can, when the schema changes, because they change, I just regenerate the, the SQL code. And then it, I, I run it through the, uh, what's called the use git. And I compare, oh, these are the changes. Uh, yeah, that looks good. Let's apply it. So I also get control. Uh, this yeah. reminds me, what you're describing here, of the database tools built into Studio. But that's for all of the schema, typically. You're dealing with just a particular area that you want to keep synchronized. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it, that's, yeah, like I said before, it's really uh, one of the reasons I keep bugging people about. But also, people are struggling sometimes. I see in VPF, uh, WPF, which mm -hmm. I, by the way, love. People are writing these uh, view models, and they implement this notify property changed. Right. And they try to come up with all kind of interesting ways to kind of reduce redundancy to do that. When I personally think that T4 is, has been in Visual Studio since 2008... And it gives a perfect answer. So how would you build your models and uh, your, your views, rather, with uh, T4? Uh, um, what, what I typically do, then, is like just with, uh, just like with ASP MVC, uh, I define a model, uh, which is saying, I want a string property called uh, uh, DNR. And on top of that, I write a template code, which is very much like uh, you would do with uh, Razor in, uh, in MVC. Mm. Then it, that is then executed on top of this one and generates all this redundant code. I have uh, several examples of that on how to do it. Um, uh, if I can mention it, uh, you can download the uh, t4include wpf package, mm -hmm. uh, which is a NuGet package, and that will pre-install a couple of uh, templates. And It will generate uh, dependency properties, which are even worse from redundancy perspective to maintain. Yeah, Everybody that's been that's writing true. them knows. Yep. And, and you can also generate um, uh, uh, routed commands or routed events in VPF, which are not as horrible, horrible but still it's are redundant. It's not horrible, but it's still a few steps when you really just want yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I want to type a name of my event. Yeah, That's it, basically. And everything else should just come. And that's That's the purpose of the model. I, in the model, I type what, what I want. The template describes how it's transformed, and then I get the code. Mm. Does that make sense? I'm not sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so you uh, basically just have the model, and, and then uh, you, you run, uh, use a template with T4, and you've got yep. a, a skeleton for, yes. your, for your view. Yes, that's very true. Well, it, it strikes me that... You know, we've always struggled with good tooling around something like WPF. So the the idea that you would use templates just to simplify it so that you can work inside the code and not need a visual tool near as much makes a lot of sense because that visual yeah. designer just never seems to do what I wanted to do. Mm. No. And the thing here is, as well, an uh, important thing here is, is we're not talking about snippets here because we constantly are regenerating the code. The skeleton code is constantly being regenerated. So whenever you want to refactor something, perhaps you want to add under redo to your view model, mm -hmm. you implement it in the template, you hit save, and then you get under redo for all your view model objects, and it just works. Yeah. Uh, uh, which I think is a crucial thing between snippets, which is kind of one-time generation, and then right. you 
modify it. Yeah, any anytime we're going to use something like this, it has to be re-entrant. We have to be able to go back and do it again yes, and not yes. lose the tweaks and tunes that we've done. I, I don't know how it protects that changes or what you have to do there. Well, an uh, important thing is uh, when you generate the skeleton code is an uh, uh, important thing people bring up is um, how do I put in my changes there? You know, because you want to extend the skeleton code with specific behavior, right? right. When I uh, change this uh, uh, property, something should happen, right? I talk to the database. And that's really where the partial keyword, which has been in C-sharp since 2005, right. really shines. You define a partial class, which is the skeleton, and then you define a partial class, which is what you write, which is interesting to write, and right. using par partial methods uh, that the, the, the T4 generates, you, you fire events, which is handled by, by your code. And that and is then, indeed the method that Visual Studio uses to create yes. basic projects. Yeah. And also light switch, if you've seen it, it uses also a lot of these kind of things. So, and then so, that's the whole thing. It's just encapsulation. Stay away from it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so I think this really, uh, for me, it really made sense, and it really transformed the way I look at how I program or how I program these days. I think all my seizure program, off, they always, all, almost always have a T four file in them because I always kind of. There's always some kind of redundancy I just want to kill off. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the, the challenging part is sort of taking a step back, looking at code and saying, where is this redundancy now that I could turn this mm. into a template and, and make sure that the interesting stuff is just interesting. It's not littered with, quote, plumbing. Yeah. And basically, I, th I think it's as simple as when you start typing code and you start thinking to yourself, my God, isn't there, why am I typing the same thing over and over again? That's really the time you sh should take the step back. After a while, you get into di in another kind of problem, like for me these days, when shouldn't I apply this? I yes. Mean, because right. I, I, try, I found my hammer, you know, and I'm, I'm looking for nails these days. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything's looking more and more nail-shaped yes. everywhere you go. And if I hit it hard enough, it, it is a nail. Uh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Anything I try swung to hard enough is a hammer. Yeah. I mean... I try to be self-conscious about, uh, about that one, not to apply it. But, you know, I still, I, you know, it, the more I use it, the more usages I found for it. Um, the only sad thing about T4, I think, is the poor tooling that's in uh, Visual Studio. Because yeah, basically it does come up a fair bit. It, you know that I was just double-checking here. I went to the MSDN site uh, and, and was looking at T4. Do you know there was, T4 was implemented in Studio 2005? Mm. Yes. Like, it's been around forever. Yep. And it's just, it feels, it's its like a, it's a neglected child. Well, you know, here's the thing. So uh, thinking back over the the many years we've done this show, T4 always came up, like Kathleen Dollard would bring it up, in the in the uh, course of a discussion on uh, code generation. And so there are people that were into code generation as a, as a tool, you know, as sort of like the first thing that you do in a project, you know, you generate all the code and then mm. you go back and you write, you know, and she was saying stuff like, you know, it'll shape 40, 50% of the time off of a project up front. And, and then, you know, code generation, we just sort of stopped talking about it. Yeah. And I, but, I don't think that seems interesting. Well, yeah. Before, and what you're saying, and this is, this is really a different perspective as, you know, instead of, you know, using these behemoth, you know, files to generate an entire project and try to do everything with a code generator, 
you, you know, use it to to help you with mundane tasks that you find yep. yourself writing over. In other words, like like you said, the commands, like an, implementing an I command. Yep. Yeah, three or four different steps, right? Yep. That but that you have to implement. But if you could just you know use an attribute or, or or some other method to generate that code for you. Yeah, it's a very it's a very simple template, and you might think, did I save as much time? But do you feel, you just feel better not having to type the same redundant code over and over again? And you know it's going to work every time. And it's also e- easier to introduce people uh, that are new in the products and doesn't know VPF on on uh, your five fingers. And you say, whenever you have to define a new command, just add a new line. You get it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's pretty and cool. when I and when I later want to refactor how the commands are generated, I change the template instead of having to pour through uh, 5,000 lines of code. Right. It just so, makes sense. Uh, I think it's awesome. Yeah. But uh, you, you can tell that, I guess. And Martin, in the end, all this, all the T4 stuff just lives in the dev environment. It doesn't af- def- affect what you deploy to the user at all, right? It's still- no, exactly. That is also a very good point there. Uh, mm-hmm. That is actually... Uh, a really strong um, feature of that because you can use Visual Studio 2012 right. to generate .NET 2 code or sure. C++ code, and it doesn't, you know, affect depend uh, sort of your what you ship to the customer. It's just as you've been writing the code yourself, but you don't maintain the redundant code. Sure, and, and, and I think if you looked at the IL, you couldn't tell at all that it was it evolved to T4. Like that's it's just generated uh, at the development level and compiled like it was handwritten. Yes, exactly right. The only thing that would be different is that the code is very consistent. Uh, right. Uh, if a human wrote it, I mean, we humans, we are great coming up with ideas, but we quickly get bored and we are not as consistent and we get, you know, distracted. Yeah. The, pro, the machine just repeats the same template over and over again and you get very consistent code, which also, I think, helps understanding because when another developer comes in and see this consistent code, there's right. a clear pattern to it yeah i think i think that's a really important piece just to talk about teaching other people to develop in the style of your organization by Mm. using templates to just lead them down the right path hey richard yes sir you know what time it is uh it must be that happy time again that's right it's time to use t4 to generate a make my kids stop losing their phone app Oh, poor kid. I know. Well, no, it's really time to give away a uh, Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Woohoo! And before we do that, I need to tell you about Telerik's agile project management solution, TeamPulse. If you're using Microsoft TFS and looking for ways to make your development process more agile, try TeamPulse. TeamPulse comes with a rich set of features for data intelligence, capturing of stakeholder feedback, as well as complete tracking of work items. Team Pulse can be easily added on top of any TFS environment, including TFS versions 2008, 2010, and 2012. The tool even comes with a TFS wizard that will allow non-technical users to set the whole thing up in seconds. If you want to improve the way you work, try Telerik Team Pulse now at bit.ly slash teampulse for TFS, or just go to Telerik.com and click on Team Pulse. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Absolutely. So who's our winner today, buddy? Our winner today is Jan Anders Nielsen. 
Ah, congratulations, John. Golf clap for you, sir. One of the thousands of members of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and you could be a member. We give away a Telerik Tebcraft Complete Collection, which is everything Telerik does in one package, including Team Pulse. $2,000 value, absolutely free for members who win. Every December, we're going to give away $5,000 worth of stuff we already gave away a great, beautiful development machine, uh, hand-specked out by the winner and Richard Campbell. Uh, yeah, our winner was Rob Corbett. He was in Ottawa. Since he was Canadian, it made it easier for me to handle that. We got a great supplier near him and uh, custom had the machine custom built for him. It's all set up to do Windows 8 touch development and connect development. That's right. And it's just what he needed, and he's having a great time with it. No BS. Carl and Richard come through. So check it out, .nerox.com. Click on Get Free Stuff. And we also like to ask our guests, Morton, we'll ask you, if uh, sure. you had 5000 US dollars to spend on technology, what would you buy? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think uh, it's Microsoft Surface. Uh, I don't know if it's 5000 but uh, that's, I think, my next toy. Yeah, you could buy a few of them. Yeah, yeah I can buy a few of them. <laughs> but I yeah, think that's you can get it, like a six-pack of Surfaces if you really <laughs> wanted. Yeah, or maybe six. a new computer. Well, I'm, I'm a believer in the idea of spreading services around to your family members that you have to do tech support for because, you know, it, the RT is just resistant to getting crappy software on it. So there's a lot sure. less maintenance for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Martin, before the, the, the break there, we were just starting to dive into this idea of that the templates help reinforce sort of development practices for your organization or for a given app. Is that something you do? Are you working with teams that way? Sure. Um, I mean... The good thing about T4, once again, compared to maybe a code generation tool, is that when you t t type your uh, T4 program, you can actually make sure you follow the organization's um, code standards. And right. uh, it, so everybody that sees the code recognizes the code immediately as being kind of, okay, that's the way it looks in our organization. So sure, it kind of it kind of uh, makes it easier to kind of enforce certain formatting and, and, uh, and code like that. Well, and it's, you, I, I've seen this happen where we've pulled up a sample project for a new developer and said, this is our style here. You can look at it. And, and now you go start work on your stuff and they end up cut and pasting from that anyway. So mm -hmm. why not do this in templates so you're not cut and pasting code and messing it up? Yeah. I think in, in, in beginning, if you are dealing with, because metaprogramming is a concept which is not widely used, I think you will ha have, have to help people. Getting used to the uh, used to the idea of no, don't cut and paste the generated code, right? You know, because that is a, the gut reaction when they see the view model and they cut and paste it. They don't understand uh, things, so you have to uh, be on top of it. And in the beginning, you know, doing code reviews, saying no, uh, this is the way we do. Uh, we add new properties to the view, uh, view models. We add it to the uh, to the generated code uh, to uh, to the model. We generate it, and bam, you get it without the hassle. Um, so it's it's something of a uh, fostering a culture, uh, but I think in my experience, most people when they get into it, they uh, it's not a problem because it's so much easier than cut and pasting, mm -hmm. and um, uh, so people are, uh, I think, in the beginning a little bit, you know, maybe not suspicious, but a little bit uh, not used to it. Right. But after a while, it gets natural. Okay, this is the way we add new properties. It just works, I, and they don't maybe they don't even have to understand the template. It just generates code. Right. I don't know exactly know why. But it does 
speak to it's going to have to come in stages. It's one thing to use a template. It's another thing to build a template. Sure, sure. And for me, it took quite a long time to be a competent meta programmer. Right. Be- because it takes, uh, it, it is a bit different. The first template I wrote was in itself, the purpose was to write a more maintainable program. But the template was unmaintainable or hard <laughs> to maintain. That's interesting. So it, yeah. So that's really why I think this model view pattern is really important uh, uh, for a, a meta programmer to adopt, separating the what from the how, just mm. as you do in MVC. Mm-hmm. And also partial helps you simplify the model because if you didn't have partial, you have to expand the model very much to handle all the um, what's called uh, special cases. But the partial allows you to put in the special cases uh, by using partial class and partial methods. So uh, in your notes, you talk about the costs of sharing code. And yeah, that's kind of a different, uh, to- different topic, but it's related, yeah. I wonder if people are... St- still doing that you know um i, I want to use that you know some of those methods that you wrote oh let me uh, build you an assembly and just email it to you yep. are developers still doing that you know or or uh, you know with with today's uh, source control um uh, what are the what are the sort of the problems of of sharing code by assembly so when i worked in uh, slightly larger organizations uh, one of the things people have been trying to do right is uh, building product lines and the way they do it is that the first year, uh, some teams build a shared asset. Uh, for instance, um, uh, a user director asset, which tracks users, or uh, maybe a MSMQ, uh, kind of a, a queue, a persistent queue. Right. And then on top, you build vertical solutions on top of this, like a reporting component, uh, uh, well, so verticals or not. And sure. in, year, in year three, the applications are supposed to integrate all these assets into one kind of you know view for the end user because the end user doesn't want to use uh, ten different vertical applications; they want to use one applications. Right. And in the NGR three, you run into all issues because um, uh, these uh, verticals uses different versions of the shared assemblies. Of so you get you get you get huge number of uh, difficulties and it's never been a problem for the vertical teams because they always build towards their version but when I work as an application team I'm really struggling to get this to work because these shared assemblies are visible dependencies that are conflicting with, with each other uh, so yes I would say it's uh, quite common uh, most might, might not experience that as a problem but in organizations where you are you trying to build this? This actually becomes a kind of a huge problem, in my opinion. And one way to sort of... Uh, there are many ways to kind of address this. Like we have... Uh, we can run the shared assemblies in different processes, but that's kind of heavy. We use the GAC, but that requires um, uh, administrative privileges to install. Right. But another approach, which I've been using a lot lately, is using sharing by code including code in my assembly uh, directly. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. 
Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago, I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Component1Spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.net and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component1. Smarter components for smarter developers. When you say including code in your assembly, I thought all assemblies were code, but you're talking about source code. Yes, that's somehow. correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, for instance, I... As a resource? Work... Not really. Uh, for instance, I, I've been working on a, a GitHub repository called T4Include. And the basic idea for that is... In there, I have like these kind of small and nice functions. I have extended the dictionary function, uh, the, the dictionary using ext extension methods. I've written kind of uh, small classes which are useful, but I don't want to, you know, the utility library DLL. After a while, it gets four meg big with a lot of utility functions, and you just use one percent of them. Right. But you're still paying the price of downloading the ninety-nine percent you're not using, and you might get different kind of uh, restrictions from that. So the idea with the T4Include uh, 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 idea is that you install a certain uh, kind of T4 templates on your machine. And then you say, I want to include uh, from the GitHub uh, the basic extensions uh, uh, functions. And that uses actually T4 on the back end to inject code into your project. So in, in this example, uh, also a NuGet package T4Include, I draw down a, a, a pull-down code from GitHub uh, um, uh, from this project. But you can, uh, in this uh, is file as well, there's an example on how to, to pull down Dapper into your uh, binary. So, in, so then you can use Dapper, but without, putting, uh, without getting the Dapper dependency. So then you get even more encapsulation. Now the users of your assembly can't see, well, they can if they look into the, the in, with reflection, but they can't see on, on the outside that you're using Dapper, and it will not conflict with other users of Dapper. So you're building a more standalone component. Like I said, just break, you don't want that monolithic utility block. You want to just pull in the pieces you need. Yes, that's, uh, yes, that's what I sometimes call cherry picking. Like, right. I, want just want, I just want to use this part of Dapper. I, don't want, I want to use the basic extensions. I, I want to use an, uh, um, a, a kind of task schedule, which is really nice, but I don't want anything else. I don't want the VPF parts. I don't want the, these things. I can cherry pick what I like. Mm -hmm. And I get a component which, uh, or an assembly which doesn't have any external dependencies, which make it easy to re redistribute and easier to reuse. Well, this but, is what we were talking about earlier on. Is I, I really like when you do this approach. It doesn't have any impact on the on the distribution. It, it looks just like you wrote all the code. Yeah, I, I don't want to carry around someone else's DLL. It, not, not just from an ugliness point of perspective, but there's a whole licensing issue around that as well. Yep, mm. that's not your DLL. No, it, it's it's exactly right. And for many web applications, this is not a problem because you run in separate app domains. But when you're building desktop application, you try to pull in a lot of dependencies and, and then you get these all kind of conflicts. And we, as developers, we learn how to use private, we use in interface to kind of hide, you know, um, um, the internal details. But then our users see a DLL called Log4Net. And now they know that my assembly uses Log4Net or Dapper. So I actually expose my internal details by the assemblies I reference. 
And those visible dependencies causing much more problems than if I made all my uh, uh, methods public because I could just avoid those. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's it's really it's a different way of thinking about this. It's very it is powerful. Very it is, but it's nothing new, really, because it's been in C since the beginning. But you can't include from a, include from a web resource, and the idea came from that because, in uh, as an example, uh, there is Boost, a library in C right. which you have two kinds of code, things you reference by library. And then you get DLL hell, it's complicated to compile, and things you reference by just including, typically templates or generics. And what I found when writing C++ is that when the things you just include, they just tend to work. You don't have to care. It's easy to share. And I wanted that simply um, simplified sharing model in .NET. Right. Yeah, that is the key part is being able to reuse it. I just not thought about using T4s in the C++ context because C++ is this sort of multi-headed dragon, right? Like there's so oh, yeah, many different ways to use it and you want to try and keep those bits away from each other. But yeah, clearly I, includes work for C++ developers and it's just so easy. Yeah. Yeah, so you're trying to trying to get that same kind of uh so so where do packages fit in, right? I mean, I thought everybody's going with packages now that you can, you know, set up your own uh whatever package uh, server and just you know it, you know use this package install this package with NuGet. so yeah so packages um i would say uh NuGet works works really well and i actually use NuGet to redistribute my templates because uh that's that's an i think that's an excellent excellent way to do it but when you add these binary references that becomes a visible dependency and if you have conflicting packages i'm not exactly sure how NuGet resolves that but then you have an issue uh, and you and you can't really cherry pick pack, uh, functionality inside the package when you reference the uh, the Dapper package, for instance. You get all of Dapper. Uh, now that's kind of slim, right? But mm -hmm. if I just want something particular out of Dapper and nothing else, I don't want to pay that the, the price for that. Think about Silverlight, uh, for instance. When I uh, uh, when I write my Silverlight application, now not many people might do it anymore, but I want to minimize the byte size because I want to minimize what the user downloads. And if I then have to pay 700k for a JSON deserializer, to me that seems excessive for something as simple. If I could cherry pick the part of the JSON deserializer that I needed, I could come down to maybe 30 kilobytes or something like that. But you can't cherry pick an assembly. Yeah, and the, you know, and the danger of cherry picking is you, know, you, you have to include all of the things that uh, are dependent. Oh yeah, all the dependencies, and you may not great. know what those are when you when it comes time to do your cherry picking. But the T four include uh, now. We'll talk about that again. Actually, supports uh, dependent code, so it actually uses um, nested nested includes. So if you include um, the um, kind of a top level uh, dependency, it actually includes all the dependencies as well. Cool. Well, and I use com I use comments for that. So it's a uh, no, it's really inspired by C++. And I think it makes a lot of sense. It really uh, makes sharing code for me simpler. Sort of like static linking. It is, yes, it's very much like static linking. It, you know, we're, we're talking some fairly core philosophical elements around software development now too, right? Yep. This idea of do you simply, you know, we could, we could do this with the whole framework. 
you know, set up like entire framework as templates and simply include the pieces of the framework you want so that you have no external dependencies at all. You sure, make your sure. app bigger, yeah. you know, but you don't have that dependency anymore. It's just, it, it's a very interesting line about what should I be able to count on as a resource on the client and mm. what should I bring with me? You know, should we be bringing our own video drivers with us? Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I've been using a lot for also is uh, multi-platform uh, targeting. So if you think about the code in C-Sharp, often the code in C-Sharp is compatible with uh, C-Sharp, uh, you know, on desktop and Silverlight and on Windows Phone. We have many different uh, C-Sharp platforms these days. And... They, they have the portable class library, but I actually find that it's easy for me to write code um, and then include it in my different kind of uh, in my different products. So I write, um, uh, you know, helper functions that I can include from my desktop application, that I can include from a Windows Phone application, that I can include from my Silverlight uh, applications. And to me, it seems that T4 including is actually more generic and simpler than the portable class library yeah because well it's funny because uh I, when i mentioned i was going to talk to you about t4 today uh, matthias carlson brought up this idea of could t4 act as an alternative to the portable class library and do multi-platform code sharing and you know the way you're describing it you really could your partial class stays the same your code and you swapping mm. in these different partial classes from templates for different machines i don't know how sure. far you could go with that you can go i think in the T4 include library, which I, uh, it actually in many cases supports um, kind of, oh, now we are in a Silverlight environment. Now, right. now I comment out this code or I replace this code uh, with something else, which is maybe less efficient, but still works. And it, but it, um, the good thing for a programmer is that it's, uh, when he debugs it, he gets the source code and he can see what the heck I'm doing. Right. Uh, it's nothing uh, magic hidden by the scenes, it's just code but it just profiles itself differently depending on what uh, platform you're running on. You know, the thing I keep going back to in my mind uh, as I hear you talk this last 50 minutes or whatever is when you said T4 is a lot like ASP, only that it spits out C-sharp or VBnet instead of uh, HTML. And, and, you know, you don't usually think of ASP as a code generator, but darn right, that's what it is. It's exactly sure. what it, it is. is. Yeah, you're writing in one language and it's transforming it into another that the browser will understand. And it, I mean, it's, I think it's an important point that you talked about earlier on, Morton, here, this idea that, you know, T4 stands for text templates. We can generate XML or SQL or XAML yes. or whatever you want. It's going to generate it. Huh. Yep. You know, if we wanted to be weird, we could generate legal documents from this. Ah, right. Yeah, There's no reason you couldn't. True. It's no. just, it'd be in studio. It's true. And, you know, I've, done this sort of app before where I've had a, a document and put, you know, placeholders in it and, and then ran it through a processor to process a whole lot of data. You know, I, this is an app that I've written many times yep. in my life. You know. Morton, is the tooling gotten better for building T4s in, in 2012? Um, like, we don't have IntelliSense, which is really what I think is needed. But yeah. Um, I'm using, um, I'm trying now hard, a tangible uh, editor, which I think there is a free version for, and which I think is quite good. Uh, and you get um, IntelliSense and you get source code coloring. But out of the box, Visual Studio, no. 
they have added some kind of new features behind the scenes, which are very useful. Like now you can load uh, DLLs in a separate app domain. That means that if you load a DLL, it's no longer locked. So you can actually use, you can compile a DLL, a helper library, which you then use in your T4 file, and it doesn't lock it. It, it did that before, and that made it a hassle to use external uh, or DLLs that were part of your product. Sure. And they also support uh, kind of uh, these uh, uh, dollar solution deal, dollar product deal. Uh, expansions these days which are very useful as well but what we kind of need what i think is needed to increase the adoption of t4 is the intelligence yeah but tangible is pretty good i think it's pretty decent yeah once you've gotten used to that kind of syntax highlighting and testing it's very hard to lose it yeah but i still wrote t4 for uh, like uh, five years without it and a, a tiny benefit of it, right, is I can now write link statements in without any intelligence at all because I, link is very much useful in uh, in T4. Right. And since you don't, ha- it's basically a text editor. You have to memorize everything, and after a while, you you find you're able to do it, and you uh, now just write it fluently without uh, using the intelligence. You feel like you're smarter because of the, of, of working without intelligence. Yep, <laughs> and also. <laughs> Anti-intelligence. And also, yeah, in some sense, I think uh, this is a digression, but intelligence kind of killed code formatting. Because when I write T4 code without intelligence, I make sure my code is very well formatted. And the reason I do that is to increase the readability, but also because Visual Studio doesn't reformat my code whenever it gets a chance. Are you talking about statement completion? Yeah, the statement completion, correct. So sometimes if you made a ta- you make a table in, in it, Visual Studio, the sharper Visual Studio just, yeah, destroys my table, and then I have to undo the changes. Mm. But I know when someone else comes into my file, I, I mean, I'm looking out for that. But when someone else comes into my file that doesn't look out for that, they will destroy my, uh, my formatting. So you, so you kind of give up and just accept... Uh, in my opinion, less good formatting because of this uh, um, this formatting. I got a story for you before we end here. I was teaching a class in VB6, and uh, it was all my content, a VB6 master class, and I uh, had one guy in the class who was constantly falling behind and falling behind and falling behind and falling behind. And I got up and I went over and I looked at his code, and everything, there was no indents. <laughs> every Every line of code was left justified ah (laughs) it's just amazing how just little practices can uh really make a difference in your productivity yep yeah if clear code i mean that's really what we're talking about here more than anything not just formatting but this idea of the separation of get the plumbing out so you clearly have a description of what you meant this app to do it's it's a subtle thing but it adds up Absolutely. Guys, uh, I think that's a show. Indeed. Wow, great way to think about T4 and uh, to rethink using it a lot more than I currently am. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm uh, glad to be here. Thanks again, Morton. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online, Pluralsight.com.
.NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Transmit a band by the FCC Yes, I'm a, a